through and rehearsing time for, for worship, and I get to sit with you and worship with you this morning. Uh, I love that. I love, I love leading worship, but I also love uh, not leading worship and just worshiping together corporately. So it's just a great thing. But boy, am I, I'm like, I'm just like ready to go. I woke up and I slept in and it's like, wow, this is great. I can, I can, uh, you're in trouble. <laughs> but, <laughs> oh, anyways, um, you know, it's funny if, if you string a few weeks together um, in teaching, people start to kind of catch your style a little bit. And, and this morning someone asked, so any, what's, what's the food illustration today? And <laughs> I don't, I don't have one. Um, that's not it. And, and I'm looking at the clock, and we want to lead into a time of communion. And so I had a pretty good, I think, a good introduction. I work hard on them. But I'm going to skip it. And I, <laughs> she knows. Karen knows. She goes, boy, you just, like, she'll hear, like, the, <sighs> she goes, uh, what's that about? Do you don't have something in the passage bothering you? I go, no, I got the passage down. Well, what are you huffy sighing about? I'm like, I need an introduction. I can't come up with one. So I'm going to skip this one, though, because this passage is just too important. And where we've been in Ephesians chapter 1, if you remember, just a real quick review, we just saw uh, Paul writing a long sentence of praise, praise for all we have in Christ, praise for the spiritual blessings that are ours. And the, and the scriptures say there, uh, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And so we are thoroughly, completely, and totally blessed in Christ. Our standing in Christ has just made us recipients of tremendous blessings in Christ. And so we see this praise going forth, because you see throughout that passage, through verse 14, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glorious grace. And so we continually see Paul thanking God for the blessings that we have. But now in the passage we'll be in today, we see Paul move into a time of prayer. And so what we see here is a time of prayer, but followed, or it's following a time of praise. Praise and prayer. They're like the twins of Ephesians 1. Don't they go together? Oftentimes you'll see church has a service. It's a prayer and praise service. Well, you can't have one without the other. And so, when we look at this prayer today, I want us to focus in and look on how Paul prays. And let's, let's read our text. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills all in all. So as we look at Paul's prayer, I want us to look at Paul's, at how he prays. And then what I would ask you to do today is see how it's similar or how it might be different than your time of prayer. Both are times of private prayer, prayer times in our community groups, in times of corporate prayer, prayer as a body. Are we praying in the same way that Paul prayed? You see, this is a prayer that really highlights three things. Thanksgiving, intercession or requests, and praise. Praising God and exalting Jesus Christ. So let's look at Thanksgiving. It says this in verse 15. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Paul is giving thanks. And we see two reasons for Paul's unending thankfulness. Do you see how he says that? Never ceasing, unceasing thankfulness. And the first reason Paul gives to God in prayer, he gives thanks to God in prayer, is because of their faith in Jesus Christ. And the second reason that Paul gives is the love that they have for all the saints. So Paul has thankfulness for their faith and for their love. You know, this is a common prayer for Paul. He's thankful for salvation. And other passages, passages show this. Colossians 1, if you want to write these down and look at them later, it's a great thing to do. Colossians 1, 3 through 4. He says this, We always, again, there's that word. Paul's thankfulness does not end. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Thessalonians, Paul says this, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because of your, your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. You see faith and love working? Philemon, verse 4, I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of, your, of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and all the saints. Faith and love. And so I want to ask you a question. Today, in your heart, has God placed within you a thankfulness and a love for others? Are you thankful for the salvation that God has given to you, but are you thankful for the salvation that he has given to others? I mean, how would you define the ingredients of a Christian? I would say that a proper definition is one who has faith in Jesus Christ and has love for one another. They're inseparable. 
love for the church, a love for God's people. And as God's people, we are called to love one another. This is a non-negotiable of Scripture. You must have faith in Jesus Christ. We know this. And we will see it even more in the next couple weeks as we get into chapter 2. We will know specifically that we are saved by grace through faith. And we know this already. But as God's people, we are called to love one another. And this is not in my notes, but I'm just struck and I feel it needs to be said. I think sometimes the church fails at this. Sometimes fails miserably. And we are disobedient to scripture when we do that. God's grace propels us and enables us to love. And it's awesome. John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. 1 John 3, 16, this is how, how we have come to know love. He, Jesus, laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. Laying down your life. Laying down my life. That's hard to do. That is a supernatural act of the Holy Spirit within us. And so as we define a Christian as one who has faith in Christ and love for one another, this is not something we can do on our own. We are all about self-preservation, aren't we? We are really about self apart from Christ. Who matters? We look out for number one. And today, I'm number one. And tomorrow, I'm number one. And... If anyone gets caught in the wake of number one moving down the road, I'm sorry. Or maybe they're not. That is how the world operates. This is how we have come to know love. Jesus laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. I think sometimes we go, oh yeah, I would die for someone. I would do that. But I better get hamburgers tonight because that's what I want for dinner. Even the small, petty stuff. I'm not moving. I need my way. See, we're called to lay down our life, but we often refuse to lay down our opinions. Too often the church will choose first to think poorly of one another. And it brings great pain to my heart to hear one speak about their brothers or sisters in Christ poorly. Are we like Paul, where we are thankful for their salvation? Where we are thankful for the work that God has done in their lives? That they were dead in their sins and they've been brought to life through Christ, like you and me. That brings a great love towards one another when we remember the gospel. The good news brings a smile to our face and the good news brings love to one another. Do we first give thanks for the salvation of our, and faith of our brothers and sisters? Or is that secondary? Or only the ones we like? Think about something. I think all of us have someone that we have some human trouble with. I think we might have, if we're honest, we'll go, oh man, that neighbor, that coworker, a pox on your firstborn. You bug me. Would you have joy if God saved them? Kind of shows and exposes our heart, doesn't it? 
Probably the ear going, Al, Ron, come on, lighten up, guy. Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you, Jesus said. So we need a love for others and a love for the body. We're second. And sometimes people go, no, 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 I'm sick and tired of being walked on. Get walked on. If you want to err on being right or wrong, err on the side where you're wrong and you get walked on. There's blessings in that. Read the Sermon on the Mount. Christ backs it up. You get asked to go a mile, go another one. We have sayings in this that have made conversation, right? They're sayings we say, go the extra mile. I'm going to go the extra mile. I love it when people say that. I'm like, do you know where that comes from? Jesus said, go the extra mile. Lose your rights. Lay down your rights. I mean, look. We just saw in the past weeks that we are adopted by the Father through the Son. Each saint is your brother and your sister. We really are family. We are joint heirs with Christ. I mean, it's come out of my mouth. I don't know how I'm going to spend time in heaven with that guy. <laughs> Isn't that awful? But that's how my heart can go. I'm just being honest, you might be throwing me out now. That's all right. Just being real. How are we going to tolerate eternity with that soul? Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I'm not the only one. I might I, <laughs> well, we'll talk after, Christian. <laughs> You're my brothers and sisters. Love matters. Our faith in Christ matters. That's what brings unity. Faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul here prays. He goes, I am so thankful for your faith in Christ. I am so thankful for your love for one another. It's interesting here that he doesn't leave a whole lot of other stuff that we might be thankful for. Faith and love. Faith and love. That's what matters to Paul. So give thanks for your family. You know what? Some of you, I understand... You have broken families. Some of you may have absent fathers, fathers you didn't know. And so when you hear the concept of family, that it can bring a pain. Allow the family of God to be part of your redemption. Remember we talked about redemption? What was broken, God fixes through Jesus Christ. And the body of Christ, when functioning properly, God will show you a picture of family that you would never believe. Those of you with good families, he will show you the same, or sometimes I would say this, even better picture of family through the body of Christ. Allow that to happen. Give thanks for those who have faith in Christ. And love should always be increasing towards one another. If you do not have love, the scripture tells you to question your salvation and faith. Now, I am not pronouncing you unsaved. Kids ask me that all the time. Pastor Ron, can you tell me I'm a Christian? No. I'm not the Pope. I'm not God. I don't know. Only you know. At the end of the day, really, 
the only person I 100% can know is saved is me. Because I can't see everyone's heart. That's for God, right? But I am called to love. And scripture does say this. Question your salvation if you're not loving one another. 1 John 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, 10 and 11. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoa, Paul, do you have a middle, uh, John. John, do you have middle ground there? Children of God, children of the devil. Can we have something a little softer? A little more pleasing to the ears? No. Child of God, child of the devil. And this is what it says. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So Paul is saying, because of your faith in Christ, because of your love for all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Paul prays with unending, never ceasing thankfulness for the church. He has thankfulness for his brothers and sisters, for their faith and for their love. And look, understand this. If we pray for one another in the same way, praying in authentic, Holy Spirit-driven thanksgiving for one another, for our common faith in Christ, for our common love for Christ, our love for one another, how would we change as a church? What would Grace Bible Church look like? I really want you to think about this. Our church could be transformed by the power of God by praying like Paul. Where we lay aside our rights and being right, or even being wrong, and we say, I'm going to give thanks for your faith and for your love. That's what we're about. If you're praying for your brothers and sisters this way, do you have time to be harsh or judgmental? Do you have time to be unloving? Thanking, some, thanking God for their salvation? Look, when you're thanking God for someone who's saved, you're saying, thank you, Jesus, for giving your life to me and to them. I am thankful you died for them, not just me. Will we seek to hurt others or to destroy others? Will we focus on small differences or will we focus on a common faith in Christ Jesus? Faith and love. This is amazing. 1 Corinthians. Do you guys know about the Corinthian church? Not one to follow. Troubles. Lots of troubles. Sinful troubles. Selfish troubles. Horrific. Unorderly. Adultery in graphic ways. Full of sin. Many, many problems. And if you read the letter to the Corinthian church, Paul does not hold back in correcting them. He tells them what God says. But yet, even in the midst of this, of all their troubles, we see this. 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 4, to a sinful, sinful church. Paul says, I always thank my God for you because of God's grace given to you in Christ Jesus. I think you could sometimes say, you're reading the Corinthians, that Paul was a glass half empty, glass half full kind of guy. Oh no, he sought the best to this church in sin, in need of repair. He thanks God because of God's grace given to them in Christ. He sees God's grace among this unhealthy church. Paul, it's amazing. That is spirit-driven, see, because it is easy, easy, simple to be critical. But to be gracious takes maturity and the power of the Holy Spirit. And we all need to grow in that way. But do we recognize God's grace in others? Do you have eyes that see through a window of grace or a window of self? Do we have eyes that see through a window of grace or a window of self-righteousness or a window of self-centeredness? Please, all of us, let's, as a church, pray that we recognize grace in others and we praise God for the salvation of one another. What love that will drive. So Paul gives thanks, and he doesn't cease in doing it. What else does Paul pray? The time of thanksgiving moves into a time of intercessory prayer, or the bringing of requests. Let's look at verses 17 through 20. We'll start at verse 16, because it kind of flows in. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So Paul continues his prayer for the church, and what does he pray? He prays for illumination. He prays for a spirit of wisdom and of revelation, we see in verse 18. He prays in verse 17, in verse 18 he prays, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. Paul is saying, I pray you all see and know the truth. I pray that you know this. I pray that you see this. I love that language. The eyes of your heart enlightened. We even sing that, right? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you high and lifted up and exalted. We understand what that means. It's not something we use a lot, but there is a time. Have any of you ever had that, ah, you know, the lights go on moment? Where once you didn't understand something and then a breakthrough happens and suddenly you go, oh, I understand. And it's like, I mean, you know, it's funny that cartoons will put the little light bulb above the head, right? Bing. They'll do that. And that's what we're talking about. A knowing, a confidence where with all our being, we say, ah, I know what's happening. And Paul prays for this type of illumination. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened. And Paul prays this, that they would know who God is 
in what God has done for them. Paul prays that their eyes are to be opened and enabled to know God and to know his truth. I read this this week. Inspiration is what we refer to as the nature of Scripture. Scripture is inspired. Scripture is God-breathed. But illumination is how we understand what God has breathed and what God has given. Illumination is how we understand Scripture. And this is a work of the Spirit of God. Next week in our reading, we'll see in Psalm 119, David wrote, Open my eyes that I might behold wonderful things from your word. Later he also says, Help me understand your instruction. What a great prayer, huh? Help me understand. As your word is read, help me see. You see, salvation is a work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings regeneration in life. We go from not having understanding, from being dead in our sins, to being brought to life by the Holy Spirit. And then the Spirit enables us to understand the gospel. The Holy Spirit brings to light the truth. The Holy Spirit reveals and shows Christ. And so that's what Paul is praying that the church would know, that the eyes of their heart would be opened, that they would have wisdom and understanding to know God better. And Paul prays they would know God better. I mean, you couple that with a faith and a love, and then knowing God. You've heard me say this before, and I'm sure you'll hear me say it again, because I just love the quote, but Martin Luther was writing to another person, and he said this, your thoughts of God are too human. And we too often have a wrong view of God. We need to know God better. I want you to think, and maybe you even know modern people. Maybe you have friends, family, a missionary, someone you know. But think of someone who knows God, who really, truly knows God. What is their life characterized by? Think of our brothers and sisters through the ages who knew God. Elijah knew God was able to engulf a drenched offering in fire from heaven. He stood before the prophets of Baal and he mocked them with confidence in God. Maybe your God's asleep. And then they started stabbing themselves and going crazy trying to get a false, fake God's attention. Elijah knew God and fire engulfed that offering. Elijah knew God. He had confidence in God. Abraham, did he have confidence in God? We see that multiple times, don't we? Abraham, go. Where, Lord? To the place I show you. Talk about not wanting to pull over and ask for directions, huh? I'll show you. You go. And Abraham obeyed. Abraham is taking his son, his only son, up to the mountain to sacrifice him. And Isaac says, where's, where's, the, where's the sacrifice? Abraham had confidence in God. God will provide the sacrifice. What a picture of Christ, huh? David stood before Goliath and took Goliath out with a sling. And he said to all those mighty men, you're going to let that Philistine blaspheme like that? Confidence in God. 
Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego knew God could deliver him from the furnace. And I love this. And they said, O king, even if he does not, we will not bow down. They knew God. Joshua and Caleb. God's promised us this land. In God's eyes, those giants are ants. Let's go. Joshua and Caleb had confidence in God. People who know God and who he is, God uses by his grace. Can we be those people? Missionaries who stepped out in faith brought the gospel to people who had never heard. Read their biographies and be blessed. Hudson Taylor, Jim Elliott, David Brainerd, Eric Liddell, William Carey, Amy Carmichael, David Livingston, Adoniram Judson, Elizabeth Elliott, Charlotte Moon, men and women who knew God and God used mightily. So Paul prays, I pray you know. I pray you know who you are in Christ because God uses mightily people who know who God is. Knowing God brings a great, humble confidence. Not an arrogant confidence, but a humble, quiet, strong, resolved confidence. Those who know God have great boldness and they have great peace. So Paul prays that they would know the blessings of the gospel better. And this all goes to having a proper view of God and what he's done. He gives three what's. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know. And what does he want us to know? What is he praying that the church would know? What is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Do you see those what's? What is the hope to which he called us? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe? Hope. In Christ we have hope. Paul's praying, I want you to know you have hope. It's a never-ending hope. It's an eternal hope. We have so much to look forward to. Even if we have trials and tribulation, or God calls us home tomorrow, or 50 years from now, we have hope in Christ. We have so much to look forward to. This life is short. In, life of, in light of eternity, this life is a vapor. It's the mere opening sentence in the story of who you are. God is writing a book, and it's just the introduction. Heaven awaits us. And heaven, people, is not just sitting on the cloud with a harp. We will work for God's glory and enjoy it. We will enjoy his presence. We will enjoy one another, and everything will be made new. All will be provided for. And we will serve our king with great joy. Never, ever say there is no hope. There is always hope for those in Christ. And it may look bleak and dark here in a present moment. Those moments pass. Trust in Christ. I pray that you know that Jesus is our hope. Heaven, our eternity, waits for us. All things will be made new. We have hope. 
If you want to write down some verses to look up later, Romans 5, verse 2, these speak on hope. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8. Galatians 5, verse 5. Colossians 1, 5. Paul gives thanks. You see that uh, recurring theme? Paul was a thankful guy, wasn't he? Pray we're that way. And he gives thanks because of the hope laid up in heaven for us. We have hope. What else is the other what? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? In inheritance. Now this is interesting. At other times it says we've been made an inheritance or we have an inheritance waiting. Who is the object of the inheritance right here? The passage says his inheritance. In this passage, it's Christ's. And it's saying that we are Christ's inheritance. In this world, people fight over inheritances, don't they? How come? Because I got to have mom's silver, right? I, I got to have that tablecloth. I need that furniture. Oh, there's memories tied to that clock. And sometimes in an earthly way for inheritance, greed kind of takes over sometimes, doesn't it? And brothers and sisters can end up fighting over rings and necklaces and junk sometimes. <laughs> I want that junk. It belongs to me. But this is different. We are Christ's inheritance. Inheritance speaks of value. Christian, do you know who you are? You're Christ's treasure. You're Christ's inheritance. What type of value does that place upon us? Immeasurable. Immeasurable riches because we were purchased with the blood of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. Those who are in Christ are of infinite value. And this is why we praise God for all the saints. Because they are a rich inheritance for Christ. That is who we are. Amazing. Let's read verses 20 through 23 because it'll tie in. And I pray what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. We'll stop there because we're going to move into a time of communion quickly here. But power. Paul prays that we, prays that we will know that we have power from God. The Greek words here are fun. Dynamis or dynamis. What are some words that we use in our English language that sound like that? Dynamite. Dynamic. Oh, he is dynamic. I like him. Power. Dynamite. I like blowing things up. I don't have an opportunity to do it, but if someone said, hey, I got some dynamite, and we're going to go to the job, do you want to come along? Yes. I do. I want to see the I want to see what that little stick of red stuff does a lot of damage. Power. Why do you think we like sports cars? Power. That is a dynamic Corvette you have there. I don't have one, but that's okay. We like that. 
Another one is energia that's used here, where we get our word energy. An unending source of energy, an unending eternal source of power belongs to us. It is immeasurable greatness. It is dynamic. It is power. It is great strength working. It is not passive. So the power we have in Christ is tremendous. You cannot measure it. So do you know this? Think about this. The world seeks counterfeit power all the time. Ephesus, a little historical background, was a center of occultic type practices and worship. False gods abounded. Go to Acts and read how the church started, and you will see that there was much fake and false magic and witchcraft practiced there. Counterfeit power. They had emperor worship. They had dark and perverted cults. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, and this is their former life. And he's saying, I'm going to show you power. I pray you really, really know what power is, because what you had before was nothing. It was fake. We have power. Power over sin. Power over worry. We have power over temptation. We have power in spiritual warfare. Why? Because our strength is not in ourselves, because we are weak. But in Christ, we are immeasurably strong. Our strength is in Christ. And Paul illustrates this by giving an example of our power. What is that power that he gives us an illustration? The resurrection. Christ being raised from the dead is the illustration he uses that we would know the power within us. And the power within us is resurrection power. The same power that God used when he raised Christ from the dead. So don't say you're powerless over sin. That is a lie. Tremendous power is given in Christ. Romans 8.11 says this, the power that we have is the same power that God had when he raised Christ from the dead. I wish we had time to go more, but don't feel weak as a Christian. It is a lie from the pit, because in Christ, you are immeasurably strong. So much is there. If the... Uh, Praise team and the worship team wants to come on up. And as we have our time in communion, we see that the intercession and um, in, your, in your Monday through Saturday, be in this passage a bit more. But what I want to look at now as we move into communion, we've, after we've seen the power that we have in Christ, intercession moves to praise. And we see Paul Exalt Jesus Christ. And I can't think of a better way to move into communion than to spend a few moments focusing on who Jesus is and praising him for it. Let's look at this passage. It says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. That's the power that we have. And then look at this. Who is Jesus? And he seated him at God the Father's right hand in the heavenly places. Who is Jesus? Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put Christ 
all things, he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Thank you.